Hey there, we're the Westlop Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with a red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskaspo. Oh, well, guys, um, for everyone listening, I hope you've survived the epic polar vortex that uh, pretty much took Chicago to a ground everything to a halt. Um, coldest temperatures on record in, in Rockford, I think, ever. Um, you know, they were like a degree or so away uh, at O'Hare. But, uh, you know, it's starting to warm up a little bit. Unfortunately, the, uh, the Northwestern shooting I was hasn't say- warmed up at all. <laughs> I was going to say, there's a Northwestern field goal percentage joke in there somewhere. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. That, that That's where I was going with it. But, uh, yeah, um, Northwestern basketball just can't hit the broadside of a barn uh, from five feet away. You know, started off just shooting ice cold against Wisconsin and then just continued on out in uh, College Park in Maryland. Um, still just couldn't shoot at all whatsoever. And it's like... The Cats are playing fairly decent defense. I mean, they were doing a fairly decent job keeping Maryland under wraps. They kept Wisconsin kind of close. But if if you're shooting like 26%, that's just not going to get it done. No, you start to lose the plot a little bit. And it – so I'll be honest. I didn't watch the Maryland game. I watched watched the whole Wisconsin game. And what was crazy is that Northwestern was getting decent looks. Like when when Turner – Shoots a three when um, when Law shoots. Uh, sometimes sometimes Law is taking like those step backs where he's you know he's moving away from the basket in midair and he comes up a little short. But still, um, Law, Turner, and Taylor all really struggling with their outside looks. And I, you know there weren't a lot of them where you're like, "Ooh, that was that was a rough shot," or "Ooh, that was really tightly contested." On the other side. Frickin' Davison is just draining crap from all over the court, and then Wisconsin just did an amazing job using uh, using the two man game between Hap and Trice to get Trice open. Anytime Northwestern would double down on on Hap, it was in the first half at least it was it was at the expense of leaving Trice open, and he just buried everything. Um, and you you cannot win in that in that situation when you when you're not hitting and the guys on the other team are are just burying every look. You're going to get torched, and the 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 game against Maryland at least offensively felt like the exact same situation. And you saw that the two big guns on Maryland were were getting their points. Um, and it's just frustrating, man, because it feels like there's talent on this team, and they just cannot put it together. Yeah, it's tough. Because, again, the defense is totally there. It's a good defensive ball team. You really can't deny that. Um, I mean, Wisconsin, like you said, they had a couple hot shooters, but they only scored, what, 62 points? And the Maryland game, I did watch the entirety of the Maryland game. It's clear that, A, Maryland's a better team than Wisconsin, and, B, Maryland played like garbage offensively, and we had a lot to do with that. They basically won because Bruno Fernando is an NBA basketball player. Yeah, that, that dude's way. amazing. A, a future lottery pick. He's a, just an absolute monster out there. And he had a good game, and Pardon is – I mean, Pardon did his best on him, but Fernando is – he's an NBA player. And, and he was really the difference in the game. But aside from that, I mean, he Maryland made 25 field goals in this game, and Fernando had nine of them. 
and you take his performance away. I mean, they were they were not. I mean, they hit a couple threes. Overall, field goal percentage was not good. They turned it over a bunch of times. Um, and it's just like defensively, both games, we totally put ourselves in a position to win. And offensively, the bottom line is offensively, this team has one guy who can create his own shot, and that's Pardon. If you get the ball down low, Pardon's got a couple of moves that he can work. If he's not double teamed, he can get himself a decent look. And that's it. Every We don't have a creator out there. And that's where we are solely missing a Bryant McIntosh type. A guy who can go to the corner, right? Go to the corner of the paint and get that jumper um, off the dribble and can create for other guys and get other guys open. You see Collins working his darndest to make up for that, right? With motion, with running plays, with trying to circulate the ball and find a way to get guys open, especially from three, because we've got a couple guys out there that can really hit threes, um, especially when Falzone is out on the floor uh, to compliment the other guys, to compliment Taylor. Um, and it's just those guys can't get looks. You see especially Taylor. Um, he ends up forcing three pointers and people, you know, that bemoan his, his percentage, knowing that how great his stroke is. It's because he's a guy, you, you know, you put this guy on Duke, he's scoring 15 to 20 a game. It's just on open looks. Um, and he doesn't get that kind of thing, um, with us. And it's, it's just so rough because again, this team is long. It's like we've got a bunch of Sanjay Lumpkins out there, right? Like a guys, guys who are not going to get their own shot on offense, but are just bangers who understand the game and play excellent defense. And it's just, uh, it's like one creator, one offensive guy who can beat his man and open up space and good open looks for other guys would make a world of difference for this team. Um, and we just don't have that guy. Yeah, it, it's it's frustrating. It really is, and you know, you, you start to look at the the way the season, you know, what the season has left. You know, Cats have ten games; they're twelve and nine right now. Um, you've got to think you've got to get to at least twenty uh, twenty wins if you want to even think about making the tournament, and that means we're going to have to go eight and two down the stretch in the regular season, and then maybe win a game or so in the in the Big Ten uh, tournament. I mean, I think I think tourney is off the table. Yeah, the, you know, the, the, even if we run the table, it feels like it's off the table. The ironic thing, well, here's the weird thing though: is some people I saw Louis Vacare, you know, kind of had a tweet where even he's like, "Look, I drink the NU Kool Aid more than anybody," and even I'm like, because it was like ESPN or SI had us in the first four out. Like as yeah, we that, that, was, like, no, that, that was that was Fox. That was Fox. Sports. Right. So Fox. So here's the thing, right? That sounds crazy, and it is crazy. But to your point, Sammy, about 20 wins, 20 might do it. People are talking about the Big Ten getting 10 teams in this year. I'm not saying we're going to get to 20. I don't think we're getting to 20. This team's got issues. But this season, it's not so much the Big Ten as everybody else. The Pac-12 is a crater right now. Um, the Pac-12 is going to get like one or two teams in. Um, and you look at your, you know, your power five conferences, your major conferences, that's got to get made up somewhere. And if you go top to bottom across the big 10, there just aren't many teams with bad losses. Um, and that includes us, our worst losses to Fresno state. We don't really have another bad loss. We just aren't beating anybody. So it's like, were we to suddenly rip off eight wins and get up to that 20 win threshold? 
Um, I think we probably get in. That's light years away from happening, though. Um, but if this team could eke out enough wins to get somewhere near 500 in conference play, I do think that probably gets us into the NIT. But again, it's putting the cart before the horse. This team's got to find a way to score points. Yeah, unfortunately, it means that I think this the next couple months are going to be kind of rough for NU fans. Um, we we do have some potential good news to talk about on the with the women's squad. They're doing quite well. Obviously, we haven't had time to, to dive into them tonight, but um, potentially next week we can uh, we can get a little get our uh, get our fix for the women's basketball team. They've uh, ripped off. Well, what? they they did lose today. They did lose today, so four of the last five, um, and they've uh, they've looked pretty strong. But we'll kind of see where the where the cards lay. Uh, talk a little bit about how they're doing next week. But um, outside of that, and signing day, yee, it's looking kind of ugly until we get to spring spring sports. Yeah, speaking of signing day, yeah, we did we did ink ourselves a running back. Um, Sammy, do you want? Yeah, take no, no. Moment? Tell tell us about Evan Hall. So yeah, we 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 teased it last time um, because it sure seemed like a done deal. Because Louis Louis was certainly making it seem like a done deal. Because in hindsight, Louis knew like a week out that he had signed. It was like, wait on some big news. I think something good might be happening. Um, we got our running back um, again. We alluded to Evan Hall. Um, he's very much in the Drake Anderson mold. Um, he is fleet of foot and small in stature and was lightly recruited. Um, we are by far his best offer. I think he's had us circled for a long time, was dreaming he would get that NU offer and grabbed it the minute he got it. All power to him. And again, he's he's the kind of guy that as a utility man, um, I'd say you know his ceiling is a Solomon Vault type player. And if, if he gets there, that would be fantastic. Um, his floor is low. Um, and that's, again, what you get when you're... Um, Again, I think, you know, we had several several things fall through from Jarrell Brock on down um, and didn't get the running backs that I think Louis Ianni really had his eye on. Um, so here we are, and we've got our back for the class. He's a guy with speed, um, and that gives him potential, and, and you know, it, it may work out. I'd say, you know, between him and Drake Anderson, if one of those two guys hits and develops into something um, – we should we should really count ourselves lucky because it's a return on a on a low investment. They were both lightly recruited players, but uh, but here's hoping. Um, you know, congrats to Evan Hall. Welcome to the Cats, and uh, we need your speed. I I will throw just a little bit more of an optimistic tone. Um, having watched his highlights earlier tonight, he his highlights are all him going through the line, running through contact, and then outpacing the secondary for, for basically really long touchdowns. Um, that's a little bit different from, and, and sure his, his stature is very similar to Drake Anderson, but it's a little bit different from Anderson who is like all speed. Um, Hull did show the ability to break tackles a little bit, run through contact. I mean, he's, he's not trucking guys, you know, but um, there might be a little bit more Warren Long or maybe even John Moten to his game. Um, we'll have to see. Obviously, this you know not our first choice at running back, um, but a guy that brings some interesting some interesting tool sets, and we'll just kind of see where he lands uh, once he gets with the cats. I, I wonder, you know, how much he reminds you guys of like Philip Lindsay 
for the Broncos. You know, short of stature, but you know, powerful through the middle, quick. Do you, do you see a, a possibility of him getting to that level? I do. So I discuss his point. I see. <clears throat> I think he's. You know, people have talked about that him timing four four. I watch him and I see more power than I do speed. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and I, but but to Scuzz's point, like I do see, he is a guy who he's five eleven, but he looks lower to the ground than that, and and he does run tough, and that is that is to the point. He's a guy that you know if, if he's a hard runner, he may end up fitting in even better with what we want to do. So so we'll see. I mean, again, he's a guy that the the cats had their eye on for a while. I think they they had him on as. As a potential guy, you know, waiting if if the scholarship came open and and grabbed him. So we will see. Well, I mean, we got the Super Bowl coming up this weekend, and uh, in order to talk about that, we have a very very special guest uh, to join us on the pod tonight. Well, we are extremely excited to welcome in uh, to the show for the first time. It's hard to believe that we haven't had you on already. Uh, Chris Giannini from the Winning Cures Everything podcast. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to, uh, to jump on with us tonight. No, man. Appreciate the invite. Full full, dis- full disclosure, there's a little bit of a bromance going on between the, the Westlot Pirates and the Winning Cures Everything boys. Uh, Chris and Gary, we've been, uh, we text these guys a lot. These are... They're like-minded individuals. Uh, like they're like our, our brothers from another mother from the state of Mississippi. So we're loving it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We have a good time. Well, Chris, we wanted to have you on uh, talk a little bit, super, a little bit of Super Bowl. I mean, the game's coming up in just a few days. Uh, Rams, Patriots. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about this uh, much last week with uh, our episode as, bu- as busy as it was enough to talk about, but. Uh, you know this this game is interesting on a bunch of different levels. Um, you know, I, I choose to completely ignore the the BS storyline of oh Brady Belichick versus you know the up and comer. I'm just more looking looking at you know what do the Patriots do on the field that causes trouble for the Rams? What do the Rams do on the field that causes trouble for the Patriots? That that to me is more interesting than oh Brady's been there eleven times. That's fantastic. Yeah, I agree that it's it's. You don't have to create storylines. I guess with two weeks to prepare and, and, and for things to talk about, I guess if I had to write something every day, yeah, the, the, you need those things. But just the X's and O's on the field are pretty incredible. Um, if Todd Gurley can be the Todd Gurley of the regular season and not the Todd Gurley of the playoffs, he is he is the X factor beyond all X factors for the Patriots. If you watch the team, that they struggle to stop. It is running backs with lateral speed that go left and right. And because and, they don't have the linebackers, the Patriots defensively are older, wiser. They play scheme, but they don't have the pure athletes to, to be able to work with lateral speed very well. If, if it's uh, Anderson, the Patriots will shut him down and it'll get ugly fast. It, so, so I'm just kind of, you know, wondering what Todd Gurley are we going to get and how quickly are we going to be able to see that? Chris, do you, do, you, do you subscribe to the theory that the way to slow down this Rams offense is to basically guard against the play action first, let Gurley get his get his yards underneath, and uh, basically hope you knuckle down in the, in the red zone and force field goals instead of TDs? Um, I think if I was Bill, 
now I'm, I'm obviously not near the brain that he's got, but, but just watching what, what football I watch and I pay a lot of close attention to the NFL, especially the Patriots. Um, I just don't give in to the misdirection. Don't give in to, they run the same personnel and they kind of run the same like nine plays over and over and over again. They just do 500 shifts every time that are different to kind of throw teams off. And I would just say, just stay disciplined and don't give into the shifts. And if that means a guy breaks off a five yard run on you, let him break off a five yard run. But when, when they give into the shifts, that's how Brandon cooks or Robert Woods ends up 30 yards down the field and bombs get dropped on you. And there's nothing you could do about it. The, one of the other things that I think is kind of interesting, I guess, if we go historically, right, I guess mainly the Giants Super Bowls versus the Patriots. The one thing this Rams team does have is a potentially epic defensive line. Now, they've run a little hot and cold. Aaron Donald has just been unreal all season long. But it's like a team that starts Aaron Donald and Ndamukong Sue should be just unstoppable at all times. And I feel like if Sue just decides he wants to play out of his mind in this game, um, that is the kind of that is kind of the blueprint of the kind of the kind of team that's messed with Brady before and gotten in there. Um, I so I don't know. Like I think it's the kind of thing where so many there's so many questions around. Like is Gurley going to play? There was the I don't know his his performance at Media Week didn't exactly inspire a lot of confidence. He did a lot of like. Even if I sit on the bench, I'm just happy to get my ring. And it's like, well, that's not exactly what I'm looking for out of you, Todd Gurley, going into this game. Um, yeah, I don't. And um, so there's that weird thing. But, you know, with all the talk about the offense and everything and Sean McVay, um, I feel like we potentially we might come out of this game talking about Aaron Donald and potentially Sue and potentially the defensive line as a whole if they can get to Brady and follow that blueprint, um, which they did parts of the year, but, but, uh, they didn't, uh, they didn't do the whole year, but that's, that's one of the things I'm curious about. And then also, uh, just the chance to watch as much CJ Anderson as possible. Sammy, I don't know if it was all of the weed he got hooked on when he was a Bronco that begat the munchies. I don't know, but (laughs) I, all 300 pounds of CJ Anderson. I can't, I can't get enough. Give me, give me more. Um, so, well, all right. So, full disclosure to your fans and your listeners out there, I, I am not just a patriot apologist. I am one of the biggest <laughs> patriot fans. Uh, I would can, can we patriot fans can, south of the Mason Dixon line? All right, um, Chris. Chris, can I stop you right there? Because sure. you're a, you're an LSU fan, which makes perfect sense for a guy from Mississippi. Fine, I get it. Kevin Falk hasn't played for the Patriots in <laughs> a decade. Okay, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, you got to find love somewhere. Um, long, strange story of how I fell in love with the city of Boston when I was four years old. Um, don't know if y'all want to get into that here, <laughs> but um, but no. It, so so let's get to the game and let's get to Sue and and uh, and Donald. That those are the two guys that scare me the most. Um, I talked about this on our podcast the other night uh, for Winning Cures Everything. So there is this philosophy that where um, – and Kevin Clark tells this story from the ringer. Uh, we're all ringer guys. I know I'm, I'm definitely a big Kevin Clark fan. Yeah, Absolutely. big time. Yeah. And, he, and he tells this story about how it's, it's, like, it's like speaking something to truth 
and, and like you saying something and, and you saying it enough makes it true. With Tom Brady, it was the exact same with Peyton Manning. And they're the only two players I've ever seen do this to where the rule is where you have to you have to get to them with four because if you blitz them, they're going to torch you. And and so teams try to blitz them once every now and then and they torch them. And then they get to go a decade without being blitzed at all. And so it's like there's this chicken and egg thing of why are their numbers so good? Um, and, and so that's always been the rule. Now you look at this Rams defensive front and you say, all right, well, they've got the two beasts to get to him. Well, the, the problem with them getting to him in, in, in what I've watched the Patriots do the first two playoff games and most of this year is Tom's getting the ball out two, two and a half seconds. These defensive linemen are good. They're beastly. They're monsters. They better be batting balls down because they're not getting to Tom in two and a half seconds. It's just not going to happen. Um, he hasn't been sacked the entire playoffs. What scares me is the Patriots have lived by just running the football down people's throats, and I think it's going to be very hard to run on the Rams right down the middle. I don't think they'll be able to run in between the guards like they have. Um but I guess being the Patriots fans and looking looking at it from rose-colored glasses, um, the Rams don't scare me defensively outside at all. I think I think the Pats will be able to get outside. I think they're going to do exactly what they did in the first two games offensively, which we don't want 30-yard runs and 50-yard bombs for touchdowns. We want to hold the ball for nine minutes. We want four to six yards every play. We don't want to go out of bounds. We want to eat the clock. We want to keep this potent offense on the sidelines. We want to keep our defense afresh. And, and that's the X's and O's game I think that they're going to give to the Rams. And here's what's crazy. Defenses in the NFL have kind of become stop the big play and let people get the little play. And Bill's just saying, please give me the little plays. Give them all to me. I will take every last one of them from the two-yard line all the way to the goal line and, and let me have – you know, 11 minutes of clock and you sit on the sidelines just chewing your nails. And then what other offense usually does, sorry, and I'll finish this point in a minute, is because the Patriots held the ball for so long, the the Chiefs did it and uh, the Chargers did it. They felt like we got to score fast because, man, the whole first quarter has gone and we haven't even touched the football. And then they get out, they make mistakes, and, and you're three and out, you're punting, and the Pats do it all over again. And now the pressure's turned up even higher. And and that's that's what they've done the first two games. I don't know that that game plan is going to be different offensively now. Uh, the, the one thing I think about is the last playoff game that Tom Brady really had a lot of pressure and was really made to feel uncomfortable was the AFC Championship game a couple years back against Denver. Uh, Brady got hit so much that game. Uh, and and there's, a, there's a commonality between that game and uh, this game on Sunday, and that's Wade Phillips. Wade Phillips has been able to get to Tom Brady and has been able to game plan you know, knowing how good he is at getting the ball out that quickly. Uh, so I'm, I'm very interested to see, especially when you've got uh, – because the Broncos never had Sue or Donald. I mean, that, that yeah, wasn't – they, that, they, they, they did have Von Miller. They did have Vaughn. That's, that's, that's attacking from a different uh, different side. Uh, Vaughn's attack, Vaughn and Ware were attacking from the outside. You got – um, Sue and Donald going from the inside. And as an extension too, right? The Giants came from the outside too, I feel like. Yeah. Um, 
So it is interesting, right? I mean, you that's where you kind of give all credit to Tom. I mean, it's like you can if he can see it even if it's like just coming right at him, he's got the ability to just diagnose it and move and get out. But I but I don't know, I do think they'll hit him. I it's funny the one of the takeaways from the the Chiefs game though, and, and to your point, Chris, is that I, I was kind of shocked at how much success the Pats were having running the ball. And yeah, if they can if they can get outside with the same kind of success, um, then I think yeah, the Rams are gonna have trouble. Well, I was actually worried about the Chargers game because the Chargers play a lot like those Broncos defenses with two edge rushers coming off the side with Bosa and Ingram that are just monsters. They scare me to death, and they couldn't get there. Um, they didn't get home not one time. I think he got knocked down once in that game, um, but but no sacks. Uh, just constantly able to get the ball out, and, and I just think he'll be able to – you can't hide the guys coming up right up the gut on him. Like there's no there's no way he won't know where where Donald's coming from or where Sue's coming from, um, and uh, the only thing those guys can do is wreak havoc in the screen game because their hands and their arms are so big they just knock balls down. That's that's the biggest fear. I mean the thing the thing that stands out for me and this this kind of dovetails across all three of the, the comments you guys have just made, Chris. You're talking about the Patriots aren't a big play team. The one exception I would I would call out from the first two games is Julian Edelman. It feels like the dude is open on every single play. It feels like Kansas City and and San Diego or San Diego. I, I'm never going to get that right. Uh, it feels like the Chiefs and the Chargers both completely forgot about him. I don't understand how you do that because he is inarguably the best wide receiver on the Patriots. And then on top of that, you've got Sony Michelle who allows them to out of passing sets run the ball really effectively. And I'm curious as as a longtime Patriots fan and and I'm not going to, you know, maybe maybe not the first, you know, Patriots Super Bowl against the Rams, but this has got to be one of the weakest group of skill players that they've had on offense throughout their run, correct? Um last year's uh, Super Bowl was probably the worst skill sets they've ever had because they played the entire game without Gronk and without Edelman. Oh uh, yeah, I forgot. I forgot that Gronk got injured early on in that game. So I mean, they they had nobody last year. I mean, they were scrapping the the heat pile bad uh, for talent, and uh, and still Tom threw for over five hundred yards, broke every Super Bowl record there was, never punted, and still lost the game. So uh, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's I don't know what you're supposed to do. I was more upset last year than I have ever been in my life at a game. Just. I don't know how you lose that game. but And that's what scares me this year, is other than Todd Gurley freaking out, which he hasn't looked right, and I kind of hope he stays on the sidelines riding that bike, I cannot see a way the Rams can win. But in saying that, I said the same thing last year, and the Eagles just destroyed that defense. And so... You know, I, I it, it would not shock me. All of these Patriot games in the Super Bowl are all field goal games. They always have to come from behind. They always have to overcome some crazy, miraculous play that you could throw it up 9,000 times and never come down with the ball. And, and you know, they found a way to win more than they lose. I think I would, I would characterize – I think the, there's a path for the Rams, but they got to thread a needle. And and that includes the Gurley situation on offense, and then on on D. And this is another uh, another Ringer NFL show um, 
tidbit that I picked up on earlier today is that the Rams are the number one defense of the NFL defending the slot receiver. The Patriots, of course, are the number one offense going to the slot receiver, and this is Edelman, who we were talking about a minute ago. That's a really interesting situation when you add in the defensive line. But it's like it's like the Rams have to have three or four things kind of break their way. I feel like the Patriots have five or six different ways they can win this game. But I'll 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 say, you know, out of out of six approaches or six ways that this game could unfold, I'm gonna give it to the Patriots five of those times, but I think there's I think there's a reasonable path for the Rams uh, in one of those scenarios. Well, well, history tells me it's going to be a close game. And, and if you get down to the fourth quarter and it's a one possession game, it's anybody's ball game at that point in time. So to just to, to just take the Rams out of that, I, just because I can't mentally see it. Look, I'm not an expert. I'm not look, I don't do this stuff for a living. There's a reason Sean McVay looks like he looks and, and, and has a job he has. And I have a job. Um, you know, so, so I, I I know this. The Rams are more talented from top to bottom at every aspect of the roster except for the quarterback position. There's there's no other position, maybe tight end, but even O line. Uh, offensive line. Uh, you know the Patriots have. Listen, the Pats' offensive line is so great right now. They have no bodies across the board. They let the highest paid offensive <laughs> line in the league. Go. <laughs> They've got three undrafted, you know, free agents running this offensive line, and Tom hasn't been touched in two games. Now, I know the Chiefs don't really get after anybody, but but the Chargers do. Well, I'm, I'm kind of interested, I mean, to the point about the talent, right? This is the second year in a row, it seems to me, where on one side you have the Pats, who are like this metronome, who seem to show up every year, and then on the other side you have whatever the huge narrative is from that year. And last year I feel like it was the exact same thing with the Eagles, right? I mean, the Eagles... The fact that Nick Foles came in late in the season and led them through the playoffs kind of overshadowed the fact that the Eagles just kind of beat the crap out of everybody all season last season. Like, early on, everyone was like, well, that's the best team by far. And then they were just – and not only that, right? So beyond just the simple narrative of how good the Eagles were – there was the whole RPO craze, right? And the Eagles coming to embody the RPO craze and the – the Eagles like presiding over the moment that the RPO officially became part of the American lexicon, and like now as, as, a, says, as opposed to play action, right? Just, and now, I was about to say ninety percent of them are just play action, right? Exactly. Well, no, exactly to the point that people call everything an RPO now, and I'm like, no, that's just a, that's just a handoff. Yeah, no, uh, that's just read option. Um, but the the so that and then. You fast forward to this season where it's like not only have the Rams been basically, I mean, like wire to wire, right? You could easily argue the Rams have been the best team. The Saints got white hot at one point, And of course, the Chiefs with Mahomes were just, just, I mean, he was just so unbelievably good. But it's like start to finish, Come the Rams came out of the gate as the best team. They were in the mix all season, and now they can argue that they that they were the best team from the beginning in terms of top to bottom talent. But then folded into that is this whole the Sean McVay genius thing, and now it's like everyone wants this ingenue. Like our head coach now has to be like thirty to thirty five, and like you know from some illustrious coaching tree, and that's how everybody wants to do it now. Um, and and on the other side, you just have Tom Brady and Bill Belichick again. And it's just two just two old guys that right. that don't belong. 
Right. It's just fascinating to me that it's like, and obviously, you know, the Pats lost last year. They could have won. But it's like, it's amazing. On one hand, the NFL culture and the zeitgeist flips over so fast in every given year. And last year, everything was all about, it's like Eagles, 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 RPO, RPO, RPO. And this year, it's like the young genius Sean McVay and this absolutely talent-stacked Rams team. And then on the other side, it's just Brady and Belichick again, just like it is every single year. And, and with a bunch of guys nobody would take on their team if we were drafting a team right now. Right, right. It's just it's just amazing, right, with like a lacrosse player, a banged-up tight end. <laughs> Quarterback and a lacrosse, a lacrosse player from Pitt. Right. It's like I – mean, it's incredible. So it's like the it, – it's just fascinating to me where it's like, you know, love the Pats, hate the Pats, um, you know – Chris, you love the Pats. Other people on this pod have other feelings about the Pats. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But it it is fascinating, just the continuity of it. And just that you have so much changing year to year in the NFL and so many things catching fire and these crazes and these hiring sprees. And then on the other side, you have guys that we, you know, we were in college when this regime took over and they're still just cranking out the wins. Well, what's what's amazing is is in and so many people around here. So I we live in Mississippi and we're in SEC country and Alabama is king and so many people. Gary being the major factor, they equate college football and the NFL because they play the same game and they play the same game in the sense of it's played on a gridiron and the field's the same size and the field goals are about the same. The footballs aren't even the same size. Like nothing about college football and the pros are equal. The NFL is set up to where parity must be a thing. There's a reason no other team has made it to the Super Bowl like like the Patriots have. They're, the teams they play in the AFC Championship game are constantly changing. The teams they play in the Super Bowl are constantly changing. But they are just still there. Bill takes it, and he really does break it down every year. And he says, all right, that team is gone. Who do we need to get rid of this year to make us better? Who do we need to bring in this year to make us better? Don't tell me what they can't do. Tell me what they can do. Let's set them up to succeed, and let's go. You know, they're, they're playing this year without their first-round draft pick. Their first-round draft pick was not Sony Michelle. He was the second pick that they got in the trade. Their first-round draft pick is a guard that they were bringing in from Georgia that they were going to try to make play tackle. And in spring training, spring camp, he tore his ACL. And it's just one of those things where – he doesn't need draft picks. He doesn't need top-tier talent. He just needs Tom to be upright, and, and they can figure this thing out. They're so good at identifying talent that can that can play in multiple positions, flexing, forcing those guys to shift positions. It just gives them a level of, of flexibility and, and an approach to the game that is player-centric. And I think – What's interesting, I, and I'm, I'm guilty of this as well, but we get so fixated on scheme. Everybody's obsessed with the air raid now because of what has happened in, in Los Angeles. Because of what's happened in Kansas City, you're seeing a whole bunch of crazy names that are going to be head coaches next year. Our boy Mike Kafka, who was, who was QB coach in, in KC, is almost certainly going to get elevated to OC and then get a head coaching shot in the next couple of years, assuming that, that things don't don't get derailed. But the bottom line, and this is true for Sean McVay as well, is that what makes, what makes McVay and Belichick special is that they adapt their scheme to the players they have. And 
Belichick has taken that to a whole nother level by bringing in and and prioritizing players that are multiple and can do different things in different in different spots, and it it just gives him so many more options. Well, he originally was the first guy to say, you know what, I'm going to bring in two big tight ends that can stretch the field because if I bring that kind of size in with that kind of speed and athletic ability. Nobody can stop it. Well, then one guy ends up being a murderer. You gotta let him go. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, and now, what he's done is I'm gonna I'm gonna have nine running backs. We start the season this year. Now we finished with three healthy running backs. Thankfully, he had the depth. But we started the season with like seven running backs on the roster, and they and they all did something completely different. But they all also were extremely athletic, have great hands, can catch the ball, they can block. They, they can do everything he needs them to do. Um, if and, and so, you know, how I talked about how I, I think the Patriots are going to struggle going up the middle, but where I think they can easily run the football is outside. Um, um, I think Cordell Patterson is going to be like the guy that we're going to say, man, they're going to take this car out of the garage in the Super Bowl. Now, because let, those let, end let, rounds, no, I will fight like you right now. <laughs> I could Cordell Patterson. no. Uh, my Minnesota Vikings wasted a first round draft pick on that dude. He has, <laughs> he has no hands. You just weren't using him right. You, you just weren't using him right. He's That's great awesome. as a returner. Um, I will not. Ex- I will not accept that he is the X factor of the Super Bowl. Well, I will not accept it. I, I'm, I've been wrong before, but uh, but but it won't surprise me if, if because I just think the Rams. What I have seen from the Rams is they are weak on the edges. And that's how that's how most of the teams that score on them and can get out they get outside on them they get outside pretty easily. You can't run up the middle. You can't run on soon. You can't run on Donald. Those guys are monsters, but you you can get around the edge pretty easily on them. And especially with his kind of breakaway speed, I just can't understand how it, it, even three four years ago when he was with the Rams and when he was with these other teams. I think the other one was the Raiders, where it's just one of those situations where man the guy's struggling to run routes and he can't catch the ball. But what does he have? He has elite speed. Well, let's not let's not throw him the ball. Let's not ask him to run a route. Let's just hit him one of those screen passes behind the line of scrimmage and let him just do stuff. God damn it! I'm gonna have to stock up on whiskey if that dude's gonna have a game in the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's gonna be a long night. And you know, the, there there is the the big X factor that uh, we haven't talked about tonight, and that's the fact that Alabama lost the national championship in college. Um, Correct. You know, the, Correct. It's always a good thing for me. Well, and the fa- and the fact that you know when Bama loses, when Nick Saban loses the national championship, Bill Belichick wins, and That's right. when Saban wins the national championship, Belichick loses. So there's this weird symmetry that goes on there. So you know, I, I'm I'm just saying, you know, I, I like I said, I I it will not surprise me if the Rams are in this game all the way to the very end. And last person with the ball wins because the Patriots' defense is great at giving up points in the fourth quarter. Um, it's just what they do. But uh, but but I, I I just don't see it now. Last year I did not see it. I didn't see an avenue for the for the Eagles to beat them, and they they beat them and they they beat them badly. They, they were never behind. Let me tell you about somebody else who didn't see Nick Foles doing well in a playoff game. This this guy, um, but that's my my I I'm gonna step away from my Viking fandom for a minute. Um, I have a, so I'm curious, and this is kind of a question for everybody. But let's say the Rams win two parter, 
A, does New Orleans burn? And B, how tainted is that win based on what happened at the end of the NFC Championship game? I think I think we know how Sean Payton feels about it. <laughs> with with, his, with the, the the most subtle unsubtle. I I'm wondering how Sean how much time did Sean Payton spend in front of the mirror getting that t shirt to the exact right amount of coverage where it's like how how much how can I let everybody know I'm wearing a Roger Goodell as a clown t shirt but still have plausible deniability? Um, oh, there's no question he wanted to unbutton that next button, but it yeah. way too much. Way too much. Right. The uh but I don't know, like I it's it is a good point. I mean I I do think you know, people outside of New Orleans are gonna have short memories, much as I mean uh yeah, short memories much as we want the opposite to be true, um, given how much New Orleans just got screwed over. Um I don't know. I, I, part of me says yes, but on the other hand, the Rams look the part and they look Ooh, like a team. But they didn't against us. I mean, the Saints should have won that game by 20. No, I know. And it's like, but I think it's partly because like the Rams have, what I, what I mean is they've looked that way all season. Oh, right? okay. Fair. Like they look like a Super Bowl champion in terms of talent. Like if you would ask anybody beginning of the season, mid of the season, end of the season, yeah, the Rams are going to win the Super Bowl. We all would have been like, okay. You mean, uh, yeah, you mean but they, the they one team that stood in their way were the Saints. The one team that beat them were the Saints. And and so I would give you that had they not lost the head-to-head to the Saints and the Saints looked just as good all season as well. Right. No, for sure. Um, I think part of if it, If that too, happens against the Cowboys, nobody's upset. Well, I think part of it, too, is in as much as a Tom Brady-less team can be a dynasty in the modern era, right, the Rams are in place to contend for, for a couple more Super Bowls, right? So if they win this one and that ends up being the first of, of a couple of one or two, because obviously, I mean, how many more years they've got at least one more year on, of Goff's rookie deal, right? So they've got, so all the guys they brought in for free agency are signed through next year, except for two or three. Um, so they, most of them signed two year deals and then Goff, but, but after two years, after next year, no. They're gonna right. have to. They're gonna have to wipe the slate clean. Golf is gonna have to be paid, and half those guys are gonna be gone. Right. So, so they've got next year too, right? So, if it ends up that in hindsight they win back to back Super Bowls, then people outside of New Orleans will forget about it. But yeah, in the in the short term, um, it's certainly not going to go away. I mean, obviously, Goodell's total inability to handle any kind of crisis only makes it worse for the league. But, um, but yeah, and and Scuzz, it must be said. Uh, that the Vic- the Vikings may be a snake bitten franchise, but the 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 Saints have had two years of absolute horror. Um and your Vikes are responsible for part of it. But it's it's amazing that you've got that team that, you know, could really argue that they that's a team that could have been in back to back Super Bowls and is missing both on just absolutely brutal circumstances. They're, well, they're, they're still at least two like soul crushing last second <laughs> losses away from Viking land. Let's let's be honest here. <laughs> they haven't they haven't made enough Super Bowls to lose enough Super Bowls to, yeah. to the discussion. Well, and, and let's it, not say Gary Anderson's name too loud. <laughs> not to mention they're the ones that beat us in 09 too. Oh. Damn it, my scotch is empty. I need some more. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh Chris, I was going to ask you just in the interest of 
a light tie-in to uh, you know our Northwestern centric content. Something I'm curious about is again, you're uh, a Pats fan. You're also a huge LSU Tigers fan. I am. And, and one thing that I'm curious about is this year. Really, I felt is one of the first times ever where if you were a Wildcat fan, NFL football is like, you know, like a, a solid quarter of the teams had have Wildcats on them. And, sure. uh, and a bunch of those guys are playing. Um, not a lot. I mean, we've got Anthony Walker. We've got Austin Carl show up every now and then make a big play on Thanksgiving Day. Justin Jackson had Just, a couple of big moments. Justin and, Jackson was my hero a couple of games. Okay, yeah, that guy right. passed me some tickets and some some charger bets. <laughs> well, we're glad we're glad he can help. Um, but this is a this is new a new thing for us. Um, and on the flip side you've got your experience, which is, I mean, how many NFL teams don't have an LSU Tiger on the, <laughs> on the defense in some capacity, right? Let alone just, just the secondary. If we go around the NFL, how many, how many LSU guys are starting just at corner and safety? I'm just wondering how that affects your NFL experience. What's it like to, to be an NFL fan knowing that, you're, that LSU has any number of guys on any team you're rooting for? It, it, it does make it a lot of fun. It's one of the reasons I do love the NFL far more than, than most of the people around here. The South is very much a college football is life thing, mainly because we don't – the areas we live in, we don't have a lot of teams. For, for a long time, Tennessee was in Houston, and so we had the Titans and uh, – sorry, you had the Atlanta and you had the Saints, and those were the only two Southern teams that we really had. Um, and, and so it's opened up quite a bit over the last decade or so. Um, but but it's it makes it a lot of fun. Uh, I do think this is the one thing that LSU has over Alabama. So that is the biggest pissing contest in all of sport. You can have the game up there with Ohio State, Michigan. You can have the Iron Bowl, whatever. Listen, there there is no dick measuring going on like there is with <laughs> LSU and Alabama. The problem is, is LSU can't beat them on the field. But off the field, we destroy them. We have more players in the NFL than any other team in the in the country. That that's Oklahoma. That's Ohio State. That's all the big boys. We're not a blue blood, um, and uh, and and that's something I'm real proud of. This year, we we now set the record, break the record, own the record for 11 Super Bowls straight. A player from LSU will be will be making uh, we're making the Super Bowl. Uh, so that's something I'm also proud of. Um, and, and they're always, you're right, they're always defensive players. Uh, we got several running backs in the league, too. Um, quite a few big-name wide receivers you've heard of. One of them's a little crazy. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> we, we still love him. Um, but, no, it, it does make it fun. Uh, I'm a fan of – I'm a fan of the NFL. I don't really have – like, I've got teams that I like, even though, you know, I'm, I'm a Patriots fan. I've got a lot of teams that I like and I'll cheer for. Most of that has to do with who the quarterback is or who the coach is, who the who the players are, not just the quarterback. Um, and and there's a few teams that I hate. And I will tell you that if you go to the Steelers, if you go to the Ravens, or if you go to the Cowboys, you're dead to me. You, you, just, <laughs> you, you were a Tiger, and I appreciate all that you did. And I'll tell you, I've gotten pretty lucky with the, the a lot of the guys that I just love. I'm not having to worry about that. Uh, so it's it's been fun. They've avoided the teams that I just loathe, 
and, and wish bad things on. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's made it a lot of fun. Oh, one last thing before we let you go. Um, and it, this goes to uh, LSU, but it also ties into something else that uh, we're talking about tonight. Um, LSU was involved in that insane seven-overtime thriller against A&M. Cool. Um, you've had both the AFC and NFC championship games go to overtime and end in you know the, the controversy, not controversy, but the, the big talking point, of course, in the AFC game was the fact that you know, Kansas City never had their hands on the ball. Um, and that's kind of led to a little bit more chatter about uh, changing of uh, the overtime rules, both in college and in the pros. You know, you know, in this end of a seven overtime game, these kids are dying, and you know the the chances of injury go up enormously when you're just totally gassed. Um, so I, I know there, there's starting to be some chatter about maybe changing the overtime rules in, in college. What what is your ideal overtime scenario? Like, what is you know have have you thought about what is sort of the perfect way to do overtime? Well, yeah, I'm I actually like the NFL rule. I'm a defensive guy. I grew up in the South, and most of my favorite players all play defense. I'm not afraid of that. I'll tell you this: the the Saints won the coin toss, and they didn't score a touchdown, and they lost the game. Okay, the Patriots. There's no doubt in my mind that Bill Belichick had they lost that coin toss would have sat down on the sidelines, he'd have used his timeouts early, he'd have figured a way out to hold the Chiefs. He hadn't stopped them in in 15 minutes. They destroyed the Patriots' defense in the fourth quarter. There is no question the Patriots left them with zero going into halftime. They would have made one stop. One stop, that would have been ball game, and the exact same thing would have happened. I'm not afraid of not winning a coin toss. I'm just not. At some point in time, the defensive guys have to get paid to and defense has to matter. The entire game has to matter. So if you think, well, we should get a turn too, well, would well, you think the Bears really want that? Like that's only the only teams that say that are teams are built like Big Twelve football. Okay, you guys are Big Ten guys. You're defensive guys, hard nosed, blue collar, blue blood dudes. <laughs> like, like, come on, man. No, nowhere in the world are the Bears hoping they win the the coin flip in overtime. No, we want Khalil Mack to eat somebody, cause a fumble. <laughs> we get the ball on our own 20. We kick a field goal. We're out of here. We don't even put Trubisky on the field. The only teams that are crying about this are the teams that have gone from college to the pros that are making these Big 12 offenses that think we have the right. It's, it's our right. It's our God-given right to touch the football. Why? Why is it? Play the game. So that doesn't bother me. Um, if – I guess if I was going to say they need to do anything that's going to be the most fair way is put some time up and just say it's going to be soccer. We're, we're going to play 12 minutes, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever they want, and, and the winner of this quarter wins it all. Um, that That's probably the best way. It's probably going to end to a lot of games not being nearly as climactic as they are. Um, but uh, but I'm, I'm, I, I hated the past rule where it was just a field goal because you, you had guys like, um, the Polish hammer for the Raiders that could just <laughs> kick it from 65 yards and, you know, he's half drunk on the sidelines and they win the ball game. Like, you know, so I, I like the rule that the NFL has. College, I've always hated the college rule. Um, I, I've never enjoyed it. Um, it makes for fun games, okay? I've actually been to some of those games. I was at the Old Miss-Arkansas game that went, uh, I think, six or seven, that, that went kind of crazy. Oh. Um 
And those are awesome, fun games. But at the end of it, you're right. These kids are dying. You know, they, they, they complain that we don't want to expand the playoffs because it's too hard on the kids to play one more game, even though we asked the division below them to play one more game. Um, that, that, that's, that's neither here nor there. Uh, you know, I, I just don't understand why it's okay to let them go play for six hours. But, but God forbid we had a playoff game. That's right. Oh, no, one more game? Oh, my gosh. One more game? And these games are like a month apart. No, I'm, I'm totally with you on the um, – like, I, I don't I don't love the NFL rule, but I really don't have a problem with it. And, it, it, what, it was like 2012, I think, when they when – they, 2010, when they instituted the, the field goal slash touchdown rule in overtime. Any score. Any score. No, no, First it, four wins. It, it was it – was, um, I, re- I remember this because – Tim Tebow to Demarius Thomas, 80 yards against Pittsburgh, was the first time that the score right. touchdown first in overtime. Um, Playoff game, eat it, Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> what, what year was that, Sammy? Oh, that was 2012, was I th- no. No, 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 no. Wasn't it? No, wasn't it, was, it, 20... it was 2012. Okay. No, I, I no, 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 no. Ah, yeah, no, it was 12. It was either okay, 11 or 12. Because they changed the rule in the playoffs, and then they – and then. I want to say in 2012 or 2013, they extended that rule to the whole regular season. And I don't think we've heard boo about this thing for seven years. And I, then there's some chatter, you just, but it's not as, you, uh, as, you loud only, as it was now. Only year when the high powered offensive teams <laughs> don't win the coin flip and then they cry. Well, that's, that's it though. That's the list. Is you've I'll, got six teams that have high-powered offenses, and they get upset when they don't win coin flips. I'll take it a step further, and I am not a Patriots a Patriots apologist, but I I think the only reason that people got all bent out of shape about it because was because it was it was Brady and Belichick. Yeah, no doubt. No question. I, if the Chiefs had won the coin flip, drove won that game, touchdown. Nobody would have been crying about the overtime rule. Yeah, Not I told one person. I totally agree, and I just I think it was disingenuous. I think it was far more about the narrative than than the actual than any actual problems with the rule. Um, so I don't know. We'll we'll see. I I don't think the NFL is changing a damn thing to be honest. Well, uh, Roger obviously doesn't care um, to get to get on <laughs> the NFL a little bit. Oh God, I wish I could. I wish I could quote the guy, and I forgot who it was. Um, I listen to the Tony Kornheiser show every day, and um, and he has he has two football guys. Mike Freeman, that's it. Mike Freeman was on his show, and he was Tony was like, "Where where is Roger? Like, why is he not answering for the you know the thing that happened in the Saints and and, and talking to people and all that stuff?" And Mike Freeman came out and he made it very clear that the league has. They have a rule, and they or not a rule, but an understanding that it is now all about money. And and while while we always kind of know it's always all about money, at some point in time, literally nothing else matters. But well, we're making money, so we don't care if somebody got screwed. We don't care if a rule is unfair. We don't care if this team is upset. We're making so much money that that we just don't care. We don't care if our fans are happy. We don't care if we're putting a good product out there. We, we don't care about ratings. We don't care about anything because we are printing cash. And while I am an extreme capitalist and believe in the making of money, and I'm not afraid of that, at the same time, I think at, at their level, 
you you have to now start looking at the legacy of your product. And if all you care about is money and nothing else, you're walking a dangerous line. And this is going to end badly in a couple of years. Yeah, I, I was going to say, where was Roger during all that? He was uh, swimming in his Scrooge McDuck vault in all of the cash that, that, that the NFL's rolling in. Right. It's yeah, it's the separation between his his job is to keep the owners happy. The owners are happy if the money comes in and the owners don't care about anything else. And that's who cuts his checks Um, until until one of those teams gets screwed. Right. That owner's upset, but nobody defends him. Everybody else just turns a blind eye. Yeah, that's true. Um, Go. You know, as far as the overtime for me. I I totally agree. I love your I, I love your defense centric view of this whole thing. It makes perfect sense. Um, I will say that the discussion, all of the discussion going around about the overtime and about ideas for the overtime, has led me to the discovery of the uh, the field position auction idea, which to me is one of the greatest ideas I've ever heard of in sports. Uh, I. <laughs> I can't push this idea hard enough. Uh, I want to see it. College, fine. I'm okay with the college overtime, but this rule is better than anything. Um, I think the Pro Bowl should only do auction format after every single possession. I want, I want if it, in the Pro Bowl where no one's watching after every single score. What are you, what are you talking about no one's watching. Pro Bowl gets bigger, better ratings than like. NBA it did, it did, it did a six. Games. It did a six this year. It did six million people. Now I don't know those six million people, but it did a six this year. Oh my god! I, but this this is the thing. They can make it six million and one with me being the one. <laughs> if they if they after every touchdown, no kickoffs, no one gets the ball. It's two coaches or the captains back out, or they can stand on the sideline or whatever. And I just want that auction. You just start at the other start at like the other team's thirty, and then just work your way back until you get a team that's confident enough to stand on something. I and and if it's overtime, I want to know if Belichick's like screw it, we'll take the ball at our own five yard line. If we, oh, if if we get if if no we question. have Tom Brady, we'll take the ball at our own five yard line. I'm willing to do it just to get the ball. And then if you're the other coach, you'd be like, what can you say? If you couldn't keep Tom Brady from driving 95 yards for a touchdown, I don't know what to tell you. I just think – and just the concept of the auction being so over the top and the teams <laughs> – the coaches being mic'd up and having to be like 45, 50, R45, R40, and just backing it up until someone blinks, I just think would be amazing. Well, I, I actually love that rule. It, it, you sent me that, and, and it made me smile, made me laugh. I'm a big fan of that. If they were going to change it, I want that. But – I don't care about the show. I want a one-time blind fee. I want I want I want you both to write a number on a card and you turn <laughs> it in, and that's it. I want it to be over in six seconds, and I want us to be playing football. And I want Bill to just write four-yard line. <laughs> Get your ass out there. Let's let's drive down the field because because they're going to run the ball three times to get the first first down anyway. They don't care where they start the football at. And, and if they don't get it on third down, they're going to Gronk or they're going to Edelman or they're going to White and they're going to get the first down. And it's and then it's just matriculating the ball down the field. It doesn't matter. Um, but I but I want that because you're going to have coaches get fired because of it. And it's going to be oh, yeah. entertaining. You wrote 22? Like you didn't even take it at the 20? Oh, <laughs> yeah. you cheap bastard. You're out of here. <laughs> it's, it's genius because it solves so many problems, right? It solves your kickoff problem. Yes, uh, right. It creates 
a whole slew of potential prop bets for any game. Um, and I, I like in-game betting is now what people, t- t- people are talking like, that's the most exciting thing. Like what, what is a more appropriate and, and great in-game betting opportunity, especially because you've got the commercial break leading up to the kickoff. Like you've got the time window there that people can place their bets. It's, it's genius on so many fronts. It would be like if you doubled the size of the roulette wheel and just said, now you can bet on the yard line. So you got to get the team and the yard line right, but you get like unbelievable payout odds. Amazing. Um, I'm all in on this. I no, seriously. I'm, I'm that, that, that is the best idea that anybody has ever created. The sad thing is the NFL won't look at good ideas. They don't want good ideas. Somebody call Vince McMahon. I was about to say. Get <laughs> <laughs> Well, Chris, we uh, we could keep talking with you all night long, and and it's, I'm sure at some point we will, but uh, we should probably let you go for tonight. Um, real quick before we go, uh, go ahead and plug your show. Winning Cures Everything. Uh, you can find us on YouTube. Uh, you get to look at Mugly Mug that way, uh, but the videos are shorter. You can listen to our podcast. You can get that on pretty much any podcast network. Uh, I am on Twitter at Chris B. Giannini. I don't share a lot of stuff. Uh, but I like and retweet some stuff, and I talk a little bit of smack to Gary. My partner, he's at Gary WCE, um, and we're at Winning Cures. And so, uh, yeah, hook us up, and uh, we appreciate the love. We we love you guys. Uh, love your show, and uh, really glad we got to hook up with y'all. So if, it's been fun. If, anyone, if y'all need gambling advice on the NFL, uh, check these dudes out. They, they know their shit. So I'm I'm actually terrified terrified next year. Um, I should be terrified <laughs> now. I went. I will pat myself on the back here on your show. Two years back to back, I went 62 percent in the regular season in the NFL. We picked five games a week, um, and we mandatory. You can't you can't say I like three. That's all I want to bet. Pick five games a week. I've gone 62 percent two years back to back. This year in the playoffs, I am nine and one. The damn Saints game screwed me. That is my own. Roger Goodell took perfection in the playoffs <laughs> away from me. I was very upset. So, uh, New England minus two and a half. Which way are you going? I'm taking the Pats, baby. I was going to say, you know which way he's going. <laughs> I just wanted to get it on record. That's all. That's, hey, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. All right. Well, have a good night, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks, Chris. Really Cheers, appreciate Chris. it. Uh, once again, Chris Giannini from the Winning Cures Everything podcast. Uh, check them out. I mean, they really do a fantastic job. And, and Chris, thanks so much for for coming on with us tonight. Uh, really good stuff. Um, before we go, and something that kind of ties into the conversation we ha- were having with Chris there at the very end, um, we got an email from uh, from Dick Lansing uh, from to, at WestlawPirates at gmail dot com asking us about uh, about the overtimes because uh, he was seeing. That there's an article in the San Diego Union Tribune saying that the foot, uh, NCAA football rules committee is reviewing the overtime rules. Um, I, I saw Stu Mandel from the Athletic was talking about that as well. Um, you know, let's t- talk about it a little bit more. I, I'd be interested. Um, you know, I think one of the things that was on the table that might be interesting is if you because one thing I saw. You know, no kicking extra points at all. Like, you have to go for two right off the bat. Um, and maybe moving it back from the 25-yard line, maybe moving it to the 30 or the 35. That That's the big one for me. And, I, I just, you know, we talked a little bit about NFL overtime with Chris, and this is obviously a little more focused on, on college. I, 
it's it's funny as a college as a football fan um my my perspective and fandom has become less biased over time in that you know 10 years ago if it was good for northwestern it was good for me man um and the rules around the clock in college and around overtime and such like Northwestern did a pretty good job using that to their advantage during the Randy Walker years. And as a result, I was, I was all on board. Um, but as I've gotten a little longer in the tooth, perhaps, um, I just like, you look at the state of offense in college right now, not at Northwestern, but in college (laughs) and, you know, a lot of these teams, and we saw it with that, that LSU game earlier this year, like a lot of these teams can, they can just score at will. And, when you're in an overtime scenario where these teams are just going back and forth and back and forth, like, yeah, it's exciting in the moment. And you're like, Oh, longest game ever. And like, it, it like there's a craziness to it. But when you step back and look at, it, it's not good for the athletes. It's not good for, for college football. It doesn't necessarily seem, I'll say equitable. Um, I can't back that up with anything specific from, from that LSU A&M game, but it didn't, it didn't feel like the right ending. Um, I just, I, to me, the biggest factor is that the 25 yard line is way too close. How often have you, and again, not Northwestern, but how often have you seen a a team go essentially three and out in OT, kick a field goal. And then they've got, you know, they've got a shot to, to, stay in the game and it just it feels like you should push that back to the 35 maybe even midfield um i don't know i i i like chris's soccer idea of just put another 12 minutes on the clock but again in college like that's just going to be like replaying the fourth quarter and how often have you seen two teams just go back and forth at the end of the fourth quarter scoring uh and keeping it tied so um i don't know i i don't I don't hate the college rule, but I don't like it either. And I'm, I'm really open for some innovation and for some potential change. Yeah. It's tough to know. Like, should I, should I wear the Northwestern hat of, of the team that's super bitter about all those Brady Hoke era overtime losses to Michigan? Or should I wear the Northwestern hat of the team that won three straight overtime games this year? I don't know. (laughs) It's, uh, I I kind of feel like I part of me doesn't want to bite the hand that feeds us, you know. We we kind of got a good thing going with overtime right now, um. So I don't know. Part of me doesn't doesn't want to doesn't want to mess with it too much. Um. I don't know. Like I guess part of me I'm I'm okay with with overtime in college. Um. It's the NFL that that I'm looking for the fix. Although you know Chris you know Chris made the point about defense and. Uh, and I, I, he makes a good point and I, I like his argument. Um, mainly I'm, as someone who's less of a fan of the NFL, I'm all for crazy auction, crazy auction format to spice up my interest of the NFL. Um, I don't really need too much to, to make me even more insane about Northwestern football than I already am. I guess, I guess I'm, I'm all right letting sleeping dogs lie in college. Would, would anyone advocate bringing back the tie? In, in college? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I've never had a problem with the tie. I mean, I can't say, I can't after, say that after, I did either. After a, a point of overtime, like I, I didn't love the tie just like right off the bat at the end of fourth quarter. I mean, I, I think you need some sort of overtime. But, uh, you know, if it comes down to it at the end of the day, if you tie, you tie. Eh. 
Um, <laughs> I, the, I like the, my, non, I like the my... non-hockey fan among us protests. I, yeah, that's right. <laughs> hey, well, hey, I'm a soccer guy. I guess that's true. Know, soccer has ties, but uh, no, I don't know. I I like my wins and losses. I like some some finality. But and, but don't don't the... but uh, let's take this to soccer. You want to have a little bit of extra time before you go to PKs. And, you know, the college overtime is straight to PKs. It is PKs, yes. That is a really good point. Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, I, yeah, I, nothing, nothing is, nothing is simultaneously better and worse than PKs. Um, it's, <laughs> it, it's so good and so bad at the same time. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, and, but you know, soccer has ties even in playoff rounds and things like that, but they also have home and homes and all kinds of things that, that you can't do because soccer, you know, because soccer can have an indefinite amount of games since people aren't getting hurt all the time playing yeah, soccer. True. Um, Although if you so, wa- if you watch a soccer game, people are getting shot and killed in the middle of, or at least they're they're acting like they do. Yeah. Right. No. Exactly. When they're not having what they call handbags, the the giant the fights the giant fights that never turn into fights in soccer and all kinds of things. But yeah. No. We digress. Yeah. Um, I yeah I to me I if it's college I'm I'm fine leaving it the way that it is um, and if you get those kind of marathon games you know um, let's put it this way only the guys who lose a marathon game are upset about it the other guys have that memory <laughs> forever so uh, I I think that's for college fair, I'm okay I'm okay a, leaving it that's a very fair point oh, well that's a very roundabout way of uh, answering your question Dick hopefully we uh, gave you something uh, that you are satisfied with uh, anyone else out there. If you ha- do have questions, shoot us an email, westlawpirates at gmail.com. We uh, love to take those and we'll answer them as, as best we can. Um, anything else before we get out of here tonight, guys? Just a second. You know what we said when, when Chris was, you know, getting off the line, check out winning cures, everything. These guys are great. Um, they are, like I said before, there are our Mississippi brothers from another mother. And, uh, we we love these guys. Um, love just getting their take, and you know, if if you guys like us are our northern boys, it's it's great to get the southern perspective. And these guys are just as big sports fans as we are, if not bigger. So check them out; it's a great listen. Well, and especially if you have any interest in in sports gambling, they they started their podcast under the premise of look, sports gambling is going to become legal in this country in the next however many years. Let's you know let's jump in on the front end of this and start talking about it. And they've, they've got really great perspective. Um, Gary is destroying college basketball right now. Um, Chris, like you talked about was, was spectacular during the NFL uh, and college regular seasons. They just, they just have a lot of insight and a lot of perspective. They do, they have a really great um, YouTube video around like how to gamble on, uh, on football how to bet football if if you're interested in learning like they're just they're just really um a a really good resource if that's something that 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 interests you and floats your boat and with that we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight uh head to our website westlawpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions find us on facebook and twitter at westlawpirates call our voicemail line 847-231-2287 that's 847-231-CATS and email the show westlawpirates at gmail.com Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag 
because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.